King. Our first visit to Petticoat Lane. Looks like any old street market to me. I am silly. Petticoat Lane's famous for its bargain. All right, old buddy, all right, the power pair, all the lovely old buddy's on. Come on, all right, the power pair, all right. Oh, Bert, let's have one of those. Well, they'll be daft, Aid. How can you get the Kohinoor Dharma for three and six? Now then, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm putting up this genuine dress and tea service, and I'll throw in these plastic earrings, three razor blades, and a coat. I'm not asking five shillings. I'm not even asking half a crown. Ten shillings a lot. Now, who wants them? Come on, step up. Don't be shy. There's not many left. Straight out of the street. That was an excerpt from Trader Horn. <laughs> Another of the books we recommend you to read, especially during the next half hour. <laughs> Meanwhile, for those who can't read, here's a sort of radio show which is beyond our camp. Among those taking part are the Honorable Lobelia Prescott, India Rubber Woman, <laughs> Councillor Ingleby Canopus, the Mass Pipes of the Tobacco Association, <laughs> Bert Figwash, Miss Myrtle Marathon. She should go a long way. <laughs> to continue. Mervyn La Princeton Dyke Mills, Perth Okinoko, and of course Mr. Kenneth Horn, who prefers to remain anonymous. Ladies and gentlemen, Kenneth Horn! Hello, good evening. Welcome to Beyond Our Ken, the show that makes you want to stand up and cheer. The moment it's over. However, <laughs> uh, as usual, let me tell you what I've been doing since we last met. Last week I went down to Bournemouth, and it was terribly hot. So was the weather. Actually, it was 72 in the shade, but I was clever. I stayed in the sun. Monday, I went along to the swimming pool, and I could hardly breathe. My eyes were popping, and my tongue was hanging out. I was judging a beauty contest. Matter of fact, the contest was organized by a local greengrocer, and all the girls represented fruit and vegetables. There was Miss Tomato, Miss Celery. She was a good-hearted sort. Miss Orange who had tremendous appeal. <laughs> Miss Potato, well, all eyes were on her. Uh, Miss Asparagus was strongly tipped, but uh, <laughs> eventually I awarded the prize to Miss Onion, and later on I had quite a lot of fun with Miss Onion. I, I got her pickled. <laughs> Actually, I was sorry when it was time to take the train home. I, I got into a non-smoker, and there was another chap in the compartment, so I asked him where he was going, and he said... Nowhere, I'm just trying to give up smoking. <laughs> Which at the time I thought was rather amusing. Gone off, it's been seven months. <laughs> However, when I got back home, there was quite a bit of tidying up to do. I was potting around the bedroom and there was a knock at the door. The wardrobe door. <laughs> Good gracious, someone's in the wardrobe. Good evening, sir. Arthur Figley is the name. I represent the Foolproof Burglary Insurance Company. Now, what about a policy or two? I can do you a very nice bit of insurance. Take this one. For a premium of only £2 a year, I can cover you against woodworms. Of course, you'll have to be medically examined. <laughs> well, what for? You must have it already. <laughs> <laughs> now then, here's our gilt-edged policy. 
careful, the pipe still wet. This is a special, super, incomprehensible, deluxe job. Covers you completely. Well, now, let's have a look. Yeah. Oh, this is interesting. It says here, if I get a bump on the head, I get a lump sum. <laughs> that is correct. Now, just have a butcher's of some of the other benefits. For a mere 500 pounds per annum, or 12 months, whichever is the shorter, you are fully protected in the event of your being trapped in a deck chair, man-andrewed by a policewoman, or savaged by a goldfish. Yes, but those things aren't likely to happen to me. You want them to happen to you? No. Well, belt up. <laughs> Where are we? Oh, yes, here's another astounding clause. 5,000 pounds if you're knocked down by a herd of stampeding elephants. And I get the same if I'm knocked down by a car? Only if it's driven by an elephant. <laughs> That'll be 500 pounds and you have to pay the first installment right away. Well, come downstairs and I'll give you a check. Oh, oh uh, excuse me, will you? Good heavens, it's Pat Lancaster. I've got beginner's luck. First time that I'm in love, I'm in love with you. Just I'm lucky, I've got beginner's luck. There never was such a smile or such eyes of blue. Just I'm fortunate, this thing we've begun is much more than a pastime. For this time is the one where the first time is the last time. I've got beginner's luck, lucky through and through. Cause the first time that I'm in love, I'm in love with you. I've got beginner's luck, the first time that I'm in love, I'm in love with you. Cause I'm lucky, I've got beginner's luck. There never was such a smile or such eyes of blue. Such unfortunate. Is much more than a pastime. For this time is the one where the first time is the last time. I've got beginner's luck, lucky through and through. Cause the first time that I'm in love, the first time that I'm in love, yes, the first time that I'm in love, I'm in love with you. Jolly nice, Pat. Now you're here. Come on into the library. I'd like to show you my Conan Doyle. Oh, well, it's a nice change from etchings. <laughs> there you are. They're in that bookcase. That's a complete set of all the Sherlock Holmes stories. Well, I don't think I've ever read any. Well, they're still very popular, you know. In fact, they've just made a film of my favorite one, The Hound of the Baskervilles. Has it ever been done on radio? Well, yes, Pat, but they've never done the other classic, Wolfhound of the Tuskervilles. That is, not until now. My name is Sherlock Holmes. I'm a criminal. I'm a criminal. A criminal. I'm a detective. <laughs> I've solved many interesting cases. For instance, the case of the swinging door. That was open and shut. <laughs> case of the gaping lift shaft. Soon got the bottom of that. And then, of course, there was the strange business of the missing embassy official, which I laughingly referred to as the attache case. 
But I mustn't bore you with these cases that happened so long ago. Let me bore you with one that happened recently. I had just returned to my chambers in Baker Street after a quick visit to my baker in Chambers Street. Then there came a knock at the door. Come in. Good afternoon, Dr. Watson. Good afternoon, Holmes. I, uh... Just a minute, Watson. Don't say a word. <laughs> yes. At five past ten this morning, you entered Hyde Park by the Marble Arch Gate. You sat in a deck chair about fifty yards due east of the bandstand, where you remained until you saw the attendant approaching. <laughs> on, uh, on leaving the park, you paused to have a piece of mud re- removed from your left shoe, and you came home via the saloon bar of the Spotted Dog. Am I right? Well, that's uh, positively uncanny, Holmes. How do you know? <laughs> I was with you. <laughs> It's incredible. It's so simple, just a matter of education. Well, what's wrong with my education? Elementary, Watson. <laughs> now, what were you going to say? Well, I was only... Don't just... tell me, let me guess. Could it possibly be something in connection with the missing home office plan? No. The Van Dyke forgery affair? No. The Hatton Garden diamond robbery? No. Try the Maltravers blackmail case. Thank you. Then is it the Mel Travers blackmail case? No. <laughs> All right, Watson. What is it? There's someone to see you. I think it's a, a bearded lady house painter. What makes you think that? Well, she's wearing a short skirt and she's got a paintbrush tied around her waist. You fool, Watson. That'll be a Scotsman in the kilt. <laughs> Show him in. All right, but I'm not convinced. Come in, sir. Or madam. <laughs> Good afternoon, Mr. Holmes. I've come to see you about a strange and terrible business. And then I trust you won't object to my playing the violin, by the way. It helps me constantly. No, certainly not. Go right ahead. Well, what is it? Do you know the legend of the wolf? Hound of a Tuscaville? Uh, no. How does it go? <laughs> it's not a tune, it's a curse. Well, those are my sentiments too. Holmes, stop playing that violin. Oh, very well. You don't mind a pipe, girl? Oh, course not. Good. <laughs> Look here. What's going on? You must forgive him showing off. It's a sort of ideal Holmes exhibition. Now <laughs> you just listen. For generations, the Tuscaville family has been stricken by a horrible cat, which takes the form of a great ravenous wolfhound roaming the bleak, <laughs> I fear that the present heir to the title, Sir Philip Tuscaville, in great danger. Only you, Sherlock Holmes, can save Sir Philip. Well, Holmes, you know, Watson, there are certain baffling aspects of this affair which rather appeal to me. For instance, who was that? <laughs> yes, I'll take the case. You follow on with the tongue. <laughs> There's no time to lose. We must get there right away. Yes, good idea, Holmes. But where? Where are we going? <laughs> it won't take a moment. Now then, let me see. Ah, I've got it. We're going to Tuscaville Hall. Well, fantastic, Holmes. How did you deduce that? 
Simple, Watson. I took a crafty peep at the next page of the script. <laughs> I wish you'd be more careful, Holmes. You'd trod right on my foot. <laughs> so this is Duskerville Hall. Now, uh, why are you dressed like a housekeeper? I am the housekeeper, sir. <laughs> a likely story. Now then, madam, where were you last night between the hours of ten and midnight? I was alone in the kitchen. Oh, you should have been with us. We had a wonderful time. <laughs> just a minute, Watson. There's a gaunt figure just come through the French window. <laughs> Who are you? I am a French window cleaner. <laughs> A French window cleaner? What else he to do with the story? Yes. And just look at you. You look as if you've been pulled along the ground. Well, I was just dragged in for the joke. <laughs> now then, housekeeper, tell us about the wolf, huh? Yes, I like a good shaggy dog story. No good asking me. The man who knows all about it is old Holmes Fitzroy, the neighboring farmer. He's got a dozen farm hands working for him. And do any of them ever come here? Not since I told old Holmes to keep his hands to himself. Where is Sir Philip? He'd be out on the moors with some girl. <laughs> Close to me, Watson. We're surrounded by a quagmire. I don't want you to put your foot in it. <laughs> Do you hear me, Watson? Watson! Oh, I'm thinking. Here! Take my hand. Oh, oh. oh thank you, Holmes. Uh, I've always been a bit of a stick in the mud. <laughs> Look! There in the bushes! It's God! What is it, Holmes? Never in the delirious dream of a disordered brain could anything more savage, more appalling, more hellish be conceived than that terrifying face which is peering at me through the fog. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. A lovely night for a soul. So, Philip, you, what are you doing out here? You mind your own business. <laughs> Didn't you hear that terrible howling? Of course I did. It was me. I've always been a bit of a wolf. Sir Philip, don't you realize you're in terrible danger? Don't move! Oh, why? What is it? Nothing. I want to remember you just as you are. Oh, 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 I'll deal with the wolf hound of the Tuskervilles. Well done, Holmes. Another case of Not quite. That dog was being used to frighten Sir Philip by someone after the family fortune. Ooh, they knew, was he? Holmes Fitzroy. 
The local police will have him in custody by now. But Holmes, how on earth did you notice the boy? Perfectly obvious, my dear Watson. He gave himself away in that speech we had to cut at rehearsal. <laughs> well, Mr. Holmes, thank you for saving my life. Here, I want you to have this check. Come on, Timmy. Oh, come in. Oh, well, back to the bird in the bush. <laughs> I say, Holmes, look at this check. Oh, how very generous. Fifty thousand pounds. Now we can get back to London and forget all about the wolfhound of the Tuskerville. Yes, my dear Watson. And now I know how I'm going to use the money. What do you mean, Holmes? Elementary. I'm going for the dogs. <laughs> So, from the world's greatest detective to four people who haven't got a clue uh, what I'm going to say next. But who is behind the curious affair of my Bonnie? Elementary, my dear ladies and gentlemen, it's the Fraser Hayes Four. My Bonnie lies over the ocean. My Bonnie lies over the sea. My Bonnie lies over the ocean. Oh, bring back my Bonnie to me. Bring back, bring back. Oh, bring back my Bonnie to me, to me. Bring back, bring back. Oh, bring back my Bonnie to me. Oh, blowy winds over the ocean. Oh, blowy winds over the sea. Oh, blowy winds over the ocean. And bring back my Bonnie to me. Documentary feature, Horn or Armor. Yes, once again, Kenneth Horn and his team of investigators bring you a factual report on topics of immediate interest. And tonight, we present a close-up on cricket. Will cricket matches go on forever? Or does it just seem like it? 
Well, now, for the benefit of those to whom cricket is still a mystery, like like Americans or like the English test selectors, <laughs> let me explain. There's a cricketer here. <laughs> cricket is a very gentlemanly game and is always played in the great heritage of true British sportsmanship. That's why two umpires are required to see that nobody cheats. How about let's first talk to a well-known county cricketer, now, sir. Would you tell us your most memorable moment on the cricket field? Uh, yes, certainly, with pleasure. <laughs> it was in an exciting match against Middlesex. You see, I was at the crease facing their spin bowler. He sent down a fast and somewhat disguised in-swinger, and I took a sudden swipe at it. And you were out? No, but my teeth were. <laughs> ah, bad luck. Now let's meet the hero of the cricket-speaking world, Mr. L.B.W. Keeper. <laughs> That's rather a nasty gleam you have in your eye, Mr. Keeper. Ah, yes. You see, I want to be wicked, Keeper. I see. Uh, tell me, when did your interest in cricket first develop? Actually, I've always wanted to cricket bat now. Well, I can remember when I was four years old, when I first asked the old pater for the cricket bat. I said, Daddy, can I have a cricket bat? I go on, Daddy. Hey, Daddy? Look at that cricket bat. I go on, Daddy. Hey, Daddy? I must have a cricket bat. Now, hey, Daddy? I go on, Daddy. <laughs> and did he let you have it? Right in the mush. <laughs> Very painful. Now then, Mr. Keeper, what was your most memorable... What was your most memorable experience in the field? Ah, yes. That would undoubtedly be when I played with Grace. Oh, yes. Grace... Grace Tippett. Oh. <laughs> what a girl. I used to call her Googly. She never knew what she was going to do next. <laughs> well, it's a traditional game, all right. I remember myself when I captained the Ponder's End Women's Eleven... I was always known for my unorthodox leg glances. However, <laughs> let us now consider the problem of the batsman who often has to face demon bowlers. What's it really like to face up to one of these speed merchants? We sent Cecil Snape to find out. Well, listeners, I'm at the Gasworks into this famous pitch at the Oval Cricket Ground. Uh, I'm at the wicket now, and judging from the field that's been set, I think the best way to deal with Frank Tyson is a quick snip through the slip. Well, I'm taking guard now as Tyson walks back to start his run. Oh, uh, the wicked keeper obviously wants to say something, probably a cheery word of encouragement. Here, Snipe, have you got any last requests to make? <laughs> <laughs> These professionals love a little joke. <laughs> well, now, I, I see that Tyson has started his run. He's gathering momentum all the time. I'm squaring up, preparing to hit the ball. And... <laughs> from the top of the gasometer returning the Well, for real cricket lovers, the BBC plays its part during the season, for whenever you switch on during the summer, you can be sure of hearing one of those colourful BBC commentaries. Well, here at Old Trafford, we greet listeners with the news that it's rainy. <laughs> The captains inspected the pitch half an hour ago, and when they rode back, they decided that play was not possible. 
We can never understand why, when play is impossible, they don't give us a commentary on what is going on inside the pavilion. So over now to John Arp. Well, here in the pavilion, you've arrived at rather a tense moment. Graveney is facing the dealer, and after a quick glance round at the other card players, he selects a card, and with that long, gliding motion we know so well, he plays a king of diamonds. Oh, and Evans has trumped him. Well played, Evans. Oh, here's a bit of excitement now. A dog has just chased Laker across the pavilion, and he's caught him. Get away, get away, get away. Yes, I thought the Lakers are feeling to him, but it's no good. And he's been given out at backward point. <laughs> well, it's time to return you to the studio, so with the news that cream buns have now been handed round and the English team is having rather a sticky time, it's goodbye from me from Old Trafford. <laughs> Well, cricket is all very well for the men, but how do the women feel about it? Can they ever take a real interest in it? Well, as far as cricket on the village green is concerned, it's quite a common sight to see the players' wives turn out to share their husband's moment of glory. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, hello, darling. Glory, so you decided to come back, have you? Yes, I was clean bold. Senior Master Mead is not bad. A hundred and eighty-five. Yes, well, you do very well for your age. You silly mid off. No, I'm a hundred and eighty-five runs. Aren't you proud of me, Felicity? No, no, Andrew. You're very selfish. Staying out there all day. That's the idea. I know, dear, but while you were out there for so long, all these other men wanted to play. That didn't worry me. I've always trusted you. Now, finally, let us turn from cricketers to the other important men at any cricket match. Those two familiar white-coated figures who stand out in the sun all day and unobtrusively make their contribution to the game of cricket. Hello, Rodney. Hello, Carl. <laughs> it's weltering, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is. The pullovers will be coming off today. Well, who do you think will win? Hard to say. You can never tell in this game. Mind you, Wessex is a crafty side. Yes. You keep an eye on their fast bowler and watch how he drags his foot over the crease. Mm. Ah, here come the teams. Come on. I say, what a crowd today. Absolute packer. Still, good for the game. Well, come on, we're in a position ourselves. Will you take... Will you take the nursery end? All right, daughter. You take the pavilion end. Okay. I'll see you later. I say, come Kenneth Horn saying goodbye for now and leaving you with this thought, which comes from a listener. If a watchmaker entered on a life of crime, would he wind up in jail? Good night. You have either been listening to Award of Just Missed Beyond Our Ken, a sort of recorded radio show which gave employment to Kenneth Horn. And also to Kenneth Williams, Hugh Paddock, Betty Marsden, Bill Pertwee, Patricia Lancaster, 
The Fraser Hayes Four and the BBC Variety Orchestra conducted by Paul Fenner. The script, believe it or not, was written, and letters of complaint should be sent to Eric Merriman and Barry Took. However, the owners must inevitably fall on our producer, Jake Brown. <laughs>